you aren't a student of the world and don't know much about China, you might not think about this country very much at all, even though, by population, it's the largest on Earth. It's only the fourth largest if you're looking at total area, but that just means its cities and towns are jam-packed with people. As world cities go, Beijing, for example, is about the third largest city by population, with about 25 million people living in Beijing's metro area. Beijing is also an ancient city with an over 3,000-year history, beginning when it served as a capital for the ancient states of Xi and Yan. Beijing is home to dozens of world attractions, including sections of the Great Wall of China, the Forbidden City, and the infamous Tiananmen Square, the epicenter for the national democracy movement of 1989. In geopolitics, China is a lightning rod. During the U.S. election, and I should note this episode was recorded before the presidential election, Donald Trump spoke extensively about China. Western nations often scold China for its weak human rights record, but that didn't stop the International Olympic Committee from agreeing to host the Summer Games in Beijing in 2008. And it doesn't stop scores of Canadians visiting China each year for both business and leisure travel. Join me as we learn about the life of a Canadian teacher living in one of the densest cities in the most populated country in the world, on the expats. Welcome to the Expats. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Former Edmontonian Maria Tran's expat experience has been a lengthy one, and her arrival in Beijing had a few perhaps unusual preceding steps. Actually, I before that I had lived in Korea, and I had met a whole load of friends that were from New Brunswick. Um, and then I left Korea, came home and was like, mm, you know what, I, I really, I really want to go travel again. So I ended up in New Brunswick uh, to meet up with friends that I had met just like a quick little vacation to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And it turned out that their parents were working in China. And I guess it kind of worked out that I got myself an interview um, and then came to China. So I, I probably one of the few people that actually went to New Brunswick and found a job and not the other way around. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, and then I got to Beijing and I just, I guess I just never left. <laughs> That's amazing. What was it like yeah. when you first arrived in Beijing? Did you feel uh, comfortable or did you feel like a fish out of water? When I got to Beijing, because I had lived in Korea previously, it was just an excitement for me. I was just really, really excited. Um, and I knew that the friends that I had met while I was in New Brunswick, so my friend's parents, were going to be here. Um, and they made it absolutely so comfortable for me. It was um, a really great transition. Um, our school back then was really small, so I say we probably had a staff of about maybe 20 to 30 people. And... We were basically friends and coworkers and all of the above. So it was actually quite comfortable, I mean, in the sense of where I was at. But when I left K 
campus, <laughs> it probably wasn't quite as comfortable just because at that time I had no Chinese. I had pretty much zero. I learned how to say hi and I learned how to say thank you. Um, so it was really nerve wracking to, you know, figure out how to get home from somewhere or to go somewhere. Um, luckily for us, we had these little card packets that our school had provided that kind of gave us um, basically addresses and things like that that you could give the taxi driver. Mm -hmm. um, and if we were unlucky and got into a cab that happened to have a taxi driver that couldn't read, then you just kind of had to jump out and find another taxi cab. Oh, wow. Um, but, like, but like I said, it was very, very, I was very, very lucky because for the first little bit, I didn't really venture, didn't have to venture out by myself because the people that I was with were very, like, kind and inviting me places. And, um, you know, I was, I was never really ever alone, I guess. Um, so it was a nice experience. It was a nice start yeah. to my Beijing experience it, for sure. It sounds like a soft landing. Yes. Yeah. Now, Definitely. you were mentioning, um, you know, having to learn some Chinese, uh, obviously, uh, you've been there for 10 years. Um, it's interesting to me that you would, you mentioned that some cab drivers can't read. Like, you know, yeah. I think that's something that we would take for granted here in Canada. Well, a lot of the cab drivers are, they, they don't, they're not directly from Beijing. Some of them come from outside of Beijing and they migrate here for a better life and a better job. Um, and so, you know, they take up jobs like cab driving and, and things like that. And they've never really learned how to read. Mm -hmm. um, so it does happen quite often. Um, not so much to me anymore because I'm able to like direct the cab as to where I need to go. But I know that a few of my friends have experienced it and we just kind of go, okay, well, let's, let's figure out if we can actually like find a way to translate it so that like, you know, maybe try our Google translate, um, when we have VPNs on, um, for it to work, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, <laughs> so we can try to tell the cab driver where to go. <laughs> You you've ha you have to find a few tricks to be able to survive China sometimes. <laughs> no kidding. And and actually, you know, yeah. the the great firewall of China, the the whole internet access thing is kind of an interesting one. So you have to use VPN to access certain parts of the internet. You and I have talked over Facebook a few times. Like, yes. how limited is your internet access? Um, our our internet is actually pretty good. It's just, like I said, we have to have a VPN because there's many sites that are blocked. Some are blocked for n absolutely no reason. Um, or they they found a particular reason. I'm not sure what it is. Um, but, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, um, Google uh, is difficult to access without. Um, I actually purchased a Samsung phone from uh, from China and I am not able to download any Google Play. I don't have any Google Play services. There's nothing on there. And it's really difficult as an Android because most of, <laughs> most of the apps are on Google Play. So I've had to try to find my way around that. But yeah, VPN is something that we use. Our school, we have, um, we access, we, our school has paid a lot of money because we're an international school mm -hmm. to, um, get a it's called packnet and so basically what it is is that we have an ip address from hong kong so that we're then able to access all of the other websites ah okay although i i'm pretty sure that it's probably monitored i'm, I'm not a hundred percent but i would assume because it's not something that 
I don't think is illegal for us to do, but I think there's probably certain stipulations that we have to follow or, um, you know, that has to be maintained. I'm, I'm not quite sure what goes on behind that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I imagine if, if one of your staff was looking up, uh, you know, I don't know, pornography or something, the Chinese government might be upset about that. Probably a little angry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Hence, if you're doing that, you should probably use a VPN. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what you do in your own in your own house is, is cool. You just got to figure your way. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> so, so avoid the pornography if you're not using VPN in China. That's good advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, at the beginning of our conversation that you are the principal of this school, and you and obviously you had to work your way up to doing that. Was that a very specific goal that you'd had? You know, honestly, it, it actually wasn't. Um, when I had first arrived in Beijing, it was just going to be, a, oh, I'm going to be here for a year, and then I'm going to go somewhere else. And um, it just kind of, I don't want to say it fell in my lap, because I definitely worked very hard for it. Um, but yeah, so essentially, like, when I got here, I were I was like a grade one teacher, then I moved to grade five, and then I got a... Um, program coordinator's role. So essentially, you know, we went to Mac, we had an IB program yep. at our school. Well, they have IB program for students in elementary called the primary years program. So after about three and a half, three and a half, four, close to three and a half years, I was working there, I became the PYP coordinator. So I had like a, a taste of leadership, so to speak. Um, and it just kind of happened that, you know, after a while of working, I just kind of got really interested in, in the other aspects of leadership um, and, you know, went on to be a vice principal for a year. And then now I'm a principal and, and I'm not a principal at our school. Like we have two campuses. It's actually a new campus that just opened. Okay. Um, and so I moved over there and am kind of the founding principal at that school. Um, but no, it wasn't something that I've always kind of wanted. And then when it kind of came my way, I thought, you know, I should probably do my master's in leadership because I've been doing it for a while and I should probably learn more things. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it just kind of happened. But I think my ultimate goal in the next, I'd say, 10 years would be become an educational consultant. And so it's kind of good to learn different facets of a school yeah. um, and be in different roles. So that I can kind of find my niche and kind of work with that and be able to consult and, and help other teachers and other schools and that develop their programs and things. So I'm just kind of like navigating my way through, I guess. Cool. Probably the best way to put it. What, what are some of the major differences that you're experiencing in this sort of international school education style that maybe uh, um, we didn't really have when we were learning as young people in Canada? Well, I would have to say just because um, I'm working with the primary years program at this international school, it's a lot more inquiry based. It's more student centered than it is um, teacher led. Oh. So I would say that's probably a lot different than what we were used to growing up. You know, there's, you know, homework is only given if it's if it's necessary. Um, students, it's, a lot of it is based on student interest where we're teaching them skills. It's not a huge concentration on, on content because you know what? Kids have information at their fingertips now. They can go on the internet and find whatever they want to find. So, so we have to be able to teach them the skills to be like, 
navigate through a lot of the stuff on the internet that may or may not be true and for them to be critical learners. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that's a, that's a bit of a, a difference. But I know that in Alberta right now that it's going towards that way. I know that we have in Edmonton alone, we have three PYP schools. And um, during my master's, there was a, a document that was sent out where uh, they were discussing um, Alberta becoming a lot more inquiry-based learning. So I think education's kind of going towards that direction. Yeah. Which is amazing. And, and that might um, actually be a trend that's not unique to the school that you're teaching at, but might be, it sounds like it's a global movement in a way. Yeah, well, the International Baccalaureate Program is very huge. Um, and I mean, I don't work for them, but I, I do know that they have a very large following, like schools are opening and, and they're becoming IB every day. So there's thousands and thousands of schools around the world that are becoming IB inquiry based. And I mean, it's one of those things now because our, again, our world is at our fingertips, right? You can go anywhere in the world now and for it to be, to have education where if I were to go from, uh, school in China and then go to Germany, the same methods are being employed. Yeah. Um, would be very, makes the transition a little easier, especially for students because they've already learned those skills. They understand it. Um, and it allows people to kind of see more of the culture, be more internationally minded. So I think it's like definitely a wonderful thing and a very good direction that at the very least that Alberta's taking. Yeah. Now, I just want to shift gears uh, and, and talk about, you know, some of the, the cultural differences. You said you had a, a relatively soft landing when you first mm-hmm. arrived in Beijing, but there must be there must be some things that, that you experienced that are just so vastly different from Canada. Are there any of those experiences or those phenomena that sort of pop to mind immediately? Oh, my goodness. There's so many to count. Half the time, our, my friends and I are always like, TIC, which is um, an acronym for this is China. <laughs> so there's <laughs> there's many things that happen that you're just like, okay, I can be really upset or I can just breathe and just say this is China. <laughs> um, I would have to say like a lot of the, the way that they do things is, is definitely a lot more different than obviously the way that we do things. Sometimes there's a lot of rigmarole and like there's just things that you're like, if your life would be just a little easier if you just did it this way. Um, (laughs) But they, they are very like um, sometimes very inclined in the way that they do things. Sometimes they don't always take a lot of initiative. Um, You know, and I'm not saying that for, for everybody, but there's definitely things like that. Even the culture itself is obviously different, but you know, coming from Canada, we, we have a very international um, place where we live in an international place. So a lot of those things I've kind of seen before. Yeah. But I think that because now that I live in Beijing, I can have a better understanding of why things are, are the way they are. So, for example, when I lived in Canada, I worked in retail. And I used to have people coming in and bartering with me. And I just didn't understand. I, I <laughs> No, I, I cannot sell you that jersey for $20. Like, this is, no, the price is what it is. But now living in China, I realize that wherever you go, like in any markets and things like that, that's just the nature of what they do. Yeah. They barter. Um, and, you know, so so it's really opened my eyes to a lot of those things. And, and you know, when you hear stuff like how, you know, the Chinese travel, 
you know, and, and people are very upset with the with the way that they travel and things like that. Well, that's that's sometimes the way that they are within China. And that's just how they have. I, I don't want to say have been, I guess, have been brought up. Yeah. And they, they don't know what they should and shouldn't do. But I mean, it's the same thing as if we, you know, went to a different country, we might not always know <laughs> what the proper etiquette is. So I think it's allowed me to be a lot more understanding. <laughs> oh, that's good. I mean, that's that's what yeah. you want these these experiences to teach you, right? Yeah. Now, um, you've been there for a long time. I know that you do come back to Canada and to Edmonton every so often. But are there any things that uh, from your home country that you actually miss when you're in Beijing, other than friends and family, of course? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know what? Honestly, living in Beijing, you can pretty much get anything and everything that you possibly need. Um, I'd probably say sometimes I miss a little bit of like Tim Hortons, you know, <laughs> I might, I might bring back a canister of coffee every now and again. Yeah. Um, it was really funny because I live in China, the land of tea, but I buy a crap load of David's tea and bring it back to, <laughs> to China with me. <laughs> I know it's really backwards. I can probably get it here, but <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, but no, it's it's everything that you could possibly need. Like, I mean, I, I suppose 10 years ago, it'd be difficult to find things like peanut butter or, or anything like that. But now that it's become so much more international, such a hub that they've they've done a really great job of, of importing things. Now, it's definitely a lot more expensive than it would be at home, but it's not difficult to find. You know, like if I wanted a box of craft dinner, I could go out and buy one. Wow. Like it's not... Yeah, like it's it's definitely not as as backwards. I think a lot of people think that China is, you know, and and some places are. Like I would say, in some of the rural places, you'd have a lot more difficulty finding a box of craft dinner. Um, but because I live in Beijing, it's such a hub that you know all of those um, things that you would need at home, uh, you can find here. Yeah, definitely. So. so it's just a little bit more expensive. That's all. It's a little bit more expensive, and sometimes by a little, I mean it's a lot. So there are times where I'll like, <laughs> I'll have to like, you know, pack a few extra things to bring back so that I don't have to spend as much money um, as I would here. And and you know, like things like medication, like over the counter medication, like Advil and stuff like that. I'm sure I can find here, but it's just so much easier to go to like Costco and buy a bottle and bring it back. No kidding. Um, and and stuff like that. But no, there's 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 actually like you can pretty much get everything that you need and a lot of it you can probably get delivered right to your door. I don't know if this is an upside or a downside, but McDonald's delivers. So that Whoa. gives you a bit of a taste of, of what what you can get here in Beijing. Um, yeah. <laughs> that actually sounds really dangerous. It is ultimately dangerous, especially <laughs> at three AM in the morning after the night at the bar. Um <laughs> Usually by then, I hope my phone is already dead, so I can't call. <laughs> yeah. So now you were in Beijing during the 2008 Summer Olympics, right? Um, I was, but I wasn't. I was here for all of the preparation, but I ended up heading back um, to Canada for the summer. Oh. Um, I tried to get tickets. It was just super hard. Like you know, all the all the lotteries and things and. And um, our apartments at the time, when I first moved here, we had to actually move out of our apartments every summer. Really? So we had to pack up. Yeah. And uh, what ended up happening, I guess, was the Canadian wrestling team 
uh, or at least one of them stayed in my apartment while I was gone. No uh, way. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> if I had known, I would have said, can you sign something and just leave it on the counter and I'll, you know, get it later. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. But no, it was, it was just really difficult. And I just was like, you know, it, it would have been super busy. And it was like my first year away from home. So I, I decided to head home. Yeah. For that summer. Now, I mean. But I mean, the. The pollution was awesome. Like, it wasn't very polluted before the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask, you know, because there's a lot of conversation right now about the impact that the Olympics have on countries and cities. And I, I wonder if, if the, the Chinese people in Beijing feel that the Olympics were a net positive for their city. Um, that's kind of hard to say. I guess for the, the people that I've spoken with about it, like, they were super excited about it. But I think um, it's just, you know... It was a lot of money spent and a lot of the the places that were built, like, for example, the, the bird's nest um, isn't really being used a lot, you know, like yeah. there might be a concert there every now and again. Um, Sean White had a big snowboarding competition there a couple times. Um, but they're just trying to use a lot of those places and, and turning them into something that could be useful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they were very, I think for the most part, they were very proud to host the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure if, I haven't really heard a lot of negative things, but I'm sure there were probably people that were quite negative about it. Um, but yeah, from what, I, from what I've heard from people, like it, it, it was a good thing for them. Okay. Now, wh what about, um, you know, North American, I don't want to say popular culture, but you know, there's a, there's a an election happening in the United States. Does that uh, news get to you guys? And, and is it something that, that people are thinking about or discussing in Beijing? For the expats, definitely. Yeah. We discuss it a lot. <laughs> um, we do get um, CNN and, B, uh, and the BBC and, and some news, new stuff over here. Um, and we're lucky because, again, I say, like, we live on a campus that gives us um, satellite cable TV. So we're able to to watch that stuff or, or we just go on the internet. But yeah, there's been a lot of discussion. I have a few, a few friends that work here that are from the States who are just like reeling and they're just like, oh God, <laughs> what is going to happen? This was funny for, <laughs> for the first little bit, but it's no longer funny, guys. It's just not funny anymore. Um, but yeah, like it's just, it, you know, and I know that um, a few uh, a few bars um, had even had the debates on live, and so a few of my friends had gone and and seen that. So yeah, it is a topic of conversation for the expats for sure. Yeah. Now you said uh, you know the future for you might hold uh, an educational consulting role. Do, are you hoping to do more world travel? Where do you see yourself in a couple years? Oh, definitely. I I've, I do believe I probably will. Um, I'm hoping to do Europe next, actually, because I've, I've lived now in, in Asia for 11 years, and I'm not quite sure what my future is going to hold for after this year. Yeah. Um, I'm supposed to be making my decision soon as to whether or not I'm returning to Beijing uh, for next year. But, you know, I've been toying with the idea of uh, going to Europe for a couple of years. Um and, you know, I think I did it right by living in, in Beijing and saving up a nest egg so that I'll be semi-comfortable when I move to Europe because it, it's not as uh, as cheap as it is in Beijing to live. So, yeah, I think probably Europe 
um, possibly Finland, because I know Finland has a really amazing educational system, and it'd be really wonderful to be able to kind of be there and, and see it for myself. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I would be able to be hired in like a public school, but I know that there's a couple of international schools there that, you know, maybe I might, you know, send out some feelers and see um, what happens. But I think at this point, I'm it's just very up in the air. I, I'm just... Uh, getting my resume together and putting it out there and seeing what comes my way. And, uh, yeah, just kind of leaving it to the, to the world of chance at the moment, <laughs> but, but which is nerve wracking for an A-type personality for sure. Yeah. But it sounds like no, no burning desire to come back to Canada and establish yourself here. No, not at this point, to be honest. I've gotten bit by the travel bug and, you know, when you talk about going home, I, I it's, it's really tough. Um, and I don't know, I can't speak for everybody else, but I know when I came home after Korea for four months, I had such reverse culture shock. It was not even funny. Mm-hmm. Like, even though I do come home at Christmas and in the summertime, it's it to, to think about living at home um, is it, quite difficult. It's, it's, you know, people, everything has changed. Things have changed. Things that you think would stay the same have changed. And things that you, you think would change have stayed the same. It's kind of a, a very, it's, it's kind of a bit of a mind war. And being stuck down in like having a mortgage and a house at this point in my life, I'm not quite interested in that at yeah. the moment, you know. And I know that, you know, people are reeling and they're like, no, you need to invest in property. Yeah, you're probably right. But do I have to invest in property in Edmonton? Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe I'll invest in a property in Thailand. You yeah. know, like I, I don't know. I, I just I feel like um, I'm just kind of like let the wind take me where it takes me. And you know, if one day I do decide to go home, then you know I'll I'll give it a go. If you're thinking of pursuing your own expat experience, consider following Maria's philosophy, and you'll find yourself living out an experience you didn't think was possible. That concludes this episode of The Expats. If there are any expats you think I should be speaking with, have them email me at info at expatspodcast.ca or send an email yourself. And let's keep building this global network of Canadians living abroad. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to The Expats on the iTunes Music Store, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. And make sure you leave us a review. That'd be swell of you. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks.